0: Hello and welcome to this film podcast that we don't have a name for and we're so unorganized uh, to get it started, but uh, (laughs) we're all film students here who study together and uh, we're bored uh, and we want to talk about movies, so this is our excuse to do it.
1: Bored, Uh, borderline depressed?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) That's not that different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I
3: feel like this is simultaneously the best and worst time to start a podcast. We're, like, right in that sweet spot where you can just interpret it however you want. Kind of like this movie. I don't know. Oh,
1: wow. Nice segue. Whoa.
0: Whoa. Um, I think it's funny because I feel like most people had their, like, oh, we should start a podcast in, like, March or (laughs) or maybe April. And we've we've meandered onto it. But finally, there's a reason to. Um, uh, so let's let's get some introductions going uh, and we'll do it with a question uh, what is the best movie that y'all have seen on Netflix during this pandemic in honor of the film we're talking about oh,
2: so that was like the we'll actual question I, I, I didn't know that
0: was going to be the yeah, we'll, start, we'll... We'll, we'll start with uh, me I guess because I'm ready for the question <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Uh, My name is Caleb Turner and I'm going to go with Candyman uh, because I hadn't seen it yet and I watched it with my little brother and it was just the most artful slasher that I've ever seen and I love slashers so that's my answer
3: all right I, nice. i'm ready to go too i guess my name is arjun fisher and i i would say school days which was i when i was catching up on all my spike lee it was on netflix but they took it off so i don't know if that counts so i'll I'll add starship troopers to that which i watched for the first time on netflix a couple weeks ago and just fell in love so
2: cool uh brooke your turn <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um I I don't know, I guess I'm going to go out on a limb here and say uh the classic the wedding planner um <laughs> because I watched it last night. Great film. Jennifer Lopez, Matthew McConaughey, I think. Um made me want to be think. I think I think it was him. He had a weird hairstyle back then. Um <laughs> and it made me want to be a wedding planner. It's on the list of jobs that I will eventually do in my life. Um, if I don't get hired for anything in the film world, I will plan anyone's wedding. Uh, so, yeah, also I'm Brooke. <laughs> <But
1: that's>... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Alicia, and I'm frantically scrolling through Letterbox. I would say probably <laughs> The Five Bloods. Um, and also, I mean, like, on a completely different kind of, like, plane. But also... I think, like, an underrated, like, feel-good type of thing. Banana Split was very um, cute and enjoyable. I don't think I know
0: that one. one. It has that
1: girl who looks like Debbie Ryan and (laughs) um, this other girl who's about to be huge. And then Dylan Sprouse is, like, kind of, like, half in it.
3: Which Sprouse um, Brother is that? Is, is that the dick pic one, or is that the other one? There's a um, dick pic Sprouse Brother? I think,
1: it, I think he was the one with the dick pic, okay. right, Dylan? I, I Not the Riverdale one. I was
3: so oh. bad at the Sprouses. I can <laughs> the never The one who opened them.
1: a meadery in New York.
3: <laughs> wait, wait,
0: speaking of, of dick pics and, the fi- and film world... Oh, Chris, yo, Evans. Wow. Chris Evans. Chris Evans, right?
1: Chris I Evans. Know, wait, but was it actually his? Or... I don't know.
0: I don't <laughs> I know. See but I do love all of the people around him like Mark Ruffalo just like tweeting at him
3: (laughs) somebody tweeted like don't the Avengers have a group chat and that's really been sticking with me the past day like you'd think that there would be some sort of text message chain with all of them on it
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, true. that's
3: a good point Uh, well if
0: if the listener hasn't figured it out already we're talking about (laughs) a new Netflix movie by Charlie Kaufman I'm thinking of ending things um, and before we, we start diving in on, on what all even that title means, uh, <laughs> what did you guys think of it in the most non spoiler way possible before we dive into spoilers?
3: Good, bad? The experience of watching it, I think, was pretty incredible. Like, I kind of lost myself in it, especially the first of the two times I checked it out. But I've I found that, like, the more I try to decipher it, like the less I like it I think in a sense but the, the first time I watched it I was just absolutely enthralled I was so sucked in
1: I would say I'm well not the opposite but I mean yeah I was very I was very like engrossed as I watched it um but also like I went through waves of exhaustion um for sure and you know, I wasn't enjoying every second of it, but that doesn't mean I didn't appreciate every second of it. And I actually, the more I dissect it, um, the more I like it. So, but that's me with like most movies, even with movies that I think like don't even require a lot of (laughs) dissection. I just like to be like, oh, they could have meant this. They definitely (laughs) didn't, but, uh, I like it better that way. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I feel like I I had an interesting viewing experience because I watched it with my older brother who is just he's not a movie guy like he's kind of your your average American like probably sees the Marvel movies maybe a Fast and Furious uh, every <laughs> once in a while um, you know whatever whatever you know grabs him but I was like hey you're free tonight I'm free tonight let's let's sit down and watch this Charlie Kaufman film. And I showed him the trailer and somehow he was still interested in seeing it. And so I, while I was watching it, I was watching it through his lens, like thinking about what he was thinking about it. Because um, you if you've ever like shown like an art house film to a friend who just is not interested in art house film, like, you know, you're like, you know, looking around like, like, oh, did, I thought that was cool. Did you think you know,
3: that was cool? So, yeah, like I remember the first time I showed First Reform to a bunch of of my friends. Like at the end of it, they were like, "Yeah, we are never letting Arjun choose the movie ever again." <laughs> yeah, but uh, my older brother actually
0: he liked he liked the movie. He did. He he was really interested in the puzzle box of it all. Um, and so for me, I, I agree that it was like enchanting and really just sort of spellbinding. Watching it, trying to decipher it, and I've had a lot of fun thinking about it and I haven't stopped thinking about it, and um, I'm curious to hear y'all's interpretations, because the more I think about it, the more I've, like, solidified what I think, and I'm like, this is the way that the thing is, which is, I don't think how most people (laughs) see this movie, so, uh, Brooke, what do you think?
2: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I felt like I needed to be, like, wearing a turtleneck and smoking a cigar or something as I was watching it but I was just like in my pajamas in my bed in my laptop and it felt like not quite right but um yeah I I think I liked it it made me very depressed but then also very relatable as someone who (laughs) um I don't know like a while back there was a tweet that went viral that was like Shout out to all the, like, the sexual tension between, like, me and the kid that's my same age, like, at the hotel lobby, and I was like, absolutely, and one of my friends, like, screenshotted it, and it said, like, Brooke Reese liked this, or whatever, on Twitter, and they were like, Brooke, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, does no one else do that? So, as someone who fantasizes about my (laughs) romantic life with many a stranger... Uh, I felt a little called out about it, and yeah, I feel a little bit depressed for my future life, and a little bit wary of like hypothermia. Uh, So those were my those were my main takeaways. Uh, But yeah, we can dive into that later if you want to talk about like if you want to talk about yeah like the medical things with hypothermia and like. You start to feel really like I already knew this. Like, I don't know, I guess I'm like I, I know some people in the medical field and I'm also a bit of like a hypochondriac and think I'm constantly dying, so I'm like hyper aware. Um and like when you get hypothermia towards the end you start to feel like super hot and start stripping and getting naked. So I was like, Uh oh, we're nearing the end for this man's <laughs> life. But yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I if really that's like either. that you uh I did not expect our conversation to uh, <laughs> dive deep into the, like, hypothermia process,
2: but Yep, <laughs> I appreciate
3: it. Well, that's interesting you bring up hyper- hypochondriacs, because, like, I notably, like, in New York, like, very much is, like, obsessed with that one character who just, like, cannot stop thinking about, like, what is wrong with her and, like, going to the doctor over and over again, and I feel like his new movies at least are so plagued with like the idea of overthinking things and just like obsessing over small details that nobody else outside of your own head is ever going to focus on. And it's like such this interior process that is just so fascinating to dive into. Interiority yeah.
2: <laughs> and nature. I yeah, that's,
3: that's whole. That's like
0: Kaufman's whole oeuvre is just diving deeper and deeper into his, his own skull, which I think this is almost the most like, I think this might be, even after Synecdoche, New York, this might be his least accessible movie, maybe in a way, where it's like, I feel like you have to be primed for what his movies are to get the most out of it, uh, or get, or uh, I don't know, maybe the most out of it is a little condescending, but to to really like be open to its ideas and to be open to how full of himself and
3: how (laughs) self-indulgent he is. Um, yeah, is like this is not where you would tell anybody to start if you were telling them to dive into Charlie Kaufman. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. But exactly. this
2: is where I started. Which is- <laughs> I have not seen any other films. But
1: like, I had a friend who texted me being like, "I'm ju- like, I need you to watch this," and I'm so tired of like, <laughs> like, men, <laughs> 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 and like, it's completely fair. I feel like he's, I mean, you know, he's forever doomed to both. Um, self-indulge and critique his own self-indulgence so we're just gonna have to live with that because he does with much difficulty <laughs> mm-hmm. but <laughs> did
0: you,
3: did oh you wait but out? i
1: also can i have a confession really quick yeah please <laughs> i I'm, I'm terrified to say this to a group of capital f film majors but <laughs> i still have not seen synecdoche new york and have I. <laughs> just because like what i'm never in the mood to like destroy myself so <laughs> And I mm-hmm. thought, I was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because I still hadn't seen Adaptation, too. Like, all the Kaufman that I'd I'd seen wasn't directed by him. It was directed by Spike or um, uh, Eternal Sunshine. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll like, do a catch-up. And so I watched Adaptation. Then I watched him thinking of anythings. And I was planning to watch Synecdoche. And then it wasn't even necessarily I thought I would be on like emotional overload, but more intellectual. I was like, I want to be able to process this movie, and I feel like if I fill my brain with, like, it's an any emotional more overload Kaufman, too. To be, be
3: yeah. fair,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that too. But yeah, just wanted to get that out there, and I feel <laughs> fifty pounds lighter.
0: Oh no, that's I mean, yeah, try. I went into Synecdoche knowing nothing about it. Like, somehow it had escaped. I, I was maybe 18. It had escaped my, like, film knowledge. And I was like, oh, I, I know Charlie Kaufman. He did Eternal Sunshine. Like, that. And I think that was the only other film of his that I'd seen. And my roommate at the time was like, yeah, you got to watch this. This is good. You like movies? Here, here it is. And I, it, it is, it is not for. It's not a fun viewing, necessarily. Like, it's a great (laughs) film, I think, but you don't come out of it loving the world or yourself.
3: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Like, do you think that changed here? Like, what were you guys... Do you think this is, like, a mostly nihilistic movie? Because that's kind of the impression I got with the ending, but it's also such, like, an ambiguous ending, it's hard for me to really wrap my head around it. Like, Like you're saying, you think your way is the right way, or your interpretation is the right interpretation, and that's not necessarily, like the canon so far of the internet reactions and like, I feel like that's sort of the point, but I couldn't help but feel so pessimistic after watching this (laughs) the first time.
0: (laughs) I was depressed as hell to be honest after watching it. Like, And I don't know if you guys, so okay, my interpretation uh, is that, is that janitor man is Jake and he is looking back on where his life went wrong and where he failed and he's conflating his artistic failures with his inability to connect with uh, anyone, specifically a woman. And uh, because of this, he decides that he's just gonna wait in his car and die. Uh, and that was my interpretation of, of the ending. I don't know if that's where y'all landed, but I found the the whole thing to be so depressing as someone, and as you guys can probably all relate, as someone who is like creative and like, likes art and wants to be a part of that world. Like, I found that so incredibly daunting and like depressing to be like, this is a possibility of where you could end up if you really (laughs) send yourself down that path and, whew.
1: I agree (laughs) with your interpretation. And I think that I went in blind, not knowing like literally anything except that it was the new Kaufman. And um, from what I've heard and people talking about the source material, like. That seems to be correct, um, and I I enjoyed like I I also didn't really solve the puzzle until after I had watched it and like w- started reading about it, um, but I, and I enjoy the puzzle, but I, I enjoy the um, other aspects even more. I think just like digging into yeah, not only the I, yeah I was crippling de- cripplingly depressed after watching this. I had to watch dog videos until like two a.m. Um, <laughs> But, like, the fear of dying alone, and also, yeah, the not necessarily solely the like romantic side of it, but also the artistic side of it. Him, like, desperately wanting, you know, being a lover of art and wanting to be a creator, but just finding that, like, his talents are not enough to be a creator. So he can't, like, be a participant and. Like, it's almost like if you took Ed Wood or The Disaster Artist or something and made it, like, really devastating, like, (laughs) instead of this kind of joyful take on, like, people who aren't necessarily conventionally talented and just doing what they love to do anyway, this is, you know, the side of things where, like, you either give up or you're just, like, forever disappointed in yourself and disappointing everyone else around you. Um so yeah, I would say these are these are all solid fears of mine and um, <laughs> catered to them
0: perfectly. <laughs> that just made me think of like com- comparing it to Synecdoche where it's almost the, the inverse and our Ar- Origin, help me if I'm totally off base, because it's been a minute since I've seen Synecdoche, where Caden Katard is like actually a genius. Right, and... right. But he just can't like like contain it and it just overgrows him and overwhelms him. Whereas I guess Jake is the opposite of that where he just doesn't.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's that. a good point. And like, I think Synecdoche is Kaufman kind of painting himself, a picture of himself like in his own view on the screen where it's like he thinks of himself as a really talented, smart guy who's done some great things, but his ideas and his like thoughts about the world are sort of too big to put into the art that he wants to. And that's kind of what Synecdoche is, so it works. And here I kind of feel like it's Kaufman – Ten years after Sinaitki, New York, he spent probably the last decade trying to put his finger on those exact issues that he was talking about and not still being able to figure it out. And I think this is him trying to put that onto the screen while exactly what you're saying, like talking about a guy who is sort of Kaufman if Kaufman never worked it out if probably like you know mm. he stuck you know making sketch comedy videos like he was doing in the 90s and never mm-hmm. made being john malkovich or something like that and it, it's like you're saying alicia like super depressing <laughs> as you know creative people or hopeful creatives like like we are
1: <laughs> yeah
3: brooke
0: did you have any thoughts on coming into uh i'm thinking of ending things blind on kaufman
2: um <laughs> yeah, so uh, obviously I was depressed, but I guess I, like, bounced back a little quicker than you guys. Um, I was only depressed for, like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes. But I also thought, like, aspects of it were, were like, I thought, like, beautiful in some way. Um, I guess just, like, thinking about, like, at a very surface level, the idea that, like, I don't know, like, he could, like, re-explore... A relationship like with his parents in some way or like some sort of something about how like people aren't really dead they live on in your like fucked up memories <laughs> like some sort of something like that and I was like I guess that part's nice and like I just chose to focus on those that like nicer aspect of like getting to like use your imagination to like forge a different path for you because like I guess in the end he like died maybe thinking of a better life for himself than the one that he actually had. You know what I mean? I don't And you know. find
0: hope in that rather than
2: Yeah. You're <laughs> <just dear. laughs> incredible.
0: Bless you. Brooke. the I'm world trying needs to do more that you. optimistic
2: spin. I'm like, "Oh, at least he like died happy." And you know, you can just you can hang on to those memories cuz like uh I don't know. You're going to die alone eventually, right? Like no one can die with you, unless, <laughs> like, a murder <laughs> suicide situation. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> another helpful uh, <humble> scenario. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, all you got are your memories as you're, like, reliving. I, I kind of saw it as him, like, you know, how you, like, uh, people say that you, like, your life flashes before your eyes, and, like, his his own interpretation of his life flashed before his eyes, before he froze to death. But so. even
0: even then, like, his own interpretation as manifested in the young woman is like fighting him the whole way and is like looking at the chinks in the armor trying to be like, wait, this isn't real. Wait, like like the swing set like at the beginning right. where it's right. like, wait, what was that? How did what why would that be there? And then he's just like, More Oh, don't Roma, don't think about yeah. that, you know? Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting how he despite her character being a figment of his imagination that he gave her agency. And he's said in interviews that, like, you know, part of it is you have to do that in order to have, like, a plot, like, for dramatic reasons. And also um, to kind of show that, you know, like, this this guy, like, even in the world of his own creation, things don't go the way that he wants them to. But I think it's also, like, it it helps in the fact that, um, like, it I feel like a lot of people who already um, have, like, ill will towards Kaufman's whole navel-gazing sort of, like, depressed American man thing would really struggle with, like, a film that has, you know, like, just a completely fictionalized agency-less woman um, for the whole time. And also, like, I find it interesting that, like, this, him, as him being, like, the creator of one of the original iconic um, manic pixie dream girls, you know, like he's kind of both critiquing and defending it at the same time. In this, as if you know, like showing, like kind of the danger of it and how it can be harmful to like the person creating this figment, but also like the f- the person who is the figment, and like at the same time showing, you know, like why, like oh, he had a depressing life and that's why he's doing this, but then also that's kind of how he made clementine in the first place i feel like like he he had her character be like oh i'm not a concept you know kind of fighting the trope but at the same time he was reinforcing it by like you know basically the entirety of her character right because so the, Clem- the clementine yeah.
0: we know is is in eternal sunshine is just completely in the memories of like mm-hmm. as filtered through yeah. uh joel was that was that the guy's joel, name yeah think so um, yeah and so yeah he is I, I i was wanting to really ask you guys what you thought about uh like the, the 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 idea literally what you're talking about alicia of this like woman character who's like played by jesse buckley and is incredible really like yeah, she's really such good. a great yeah. actress mm-hmm. but and and has her own thoughts and she's right. like the main character right. for most of it but it's but like you know you it's not and so it's like is that is that something that can be read as feminist? Or is it inherently, uh, you know, since it's originating from a, a man's brain, even if Kaufman, I think it's what you said, Alicia, is that even as Kaufman like looks at this thing and and, he's, and it's uh, his creation, he's critiquing it and he's critiquing that he's critiquing it. And mm-hmm. it's like that, that whole of judging whether or not this film is like misogynistic, it was like a mind bender for me and like right. i think you could right. like be you could be frustrated with it or you could think like what an amazing critique of how men view women and how they view how women should act in their lives or something i don't know yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not sure that everything we're seeing from jesse Buckley's—I don't know—did she get a name? Her character, her a couple names, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I think,
1: (laughs) or but what is it credited as? Like the the young woman. The young woman, woman,
3: right? Well I'm I'm not sure that everything we hear from her is necessarily supposed to be like a projection of Jesse Plamment's character because I do think that as much as this movie is about interiority and about specifically, you know, his male suicidal interiority, I do think that we get her like you're saying we get her direct line of thought in a lot of in a lot of cases. And I kind of think that in some of those cases, especially when we get to the end and she makes that comment about how, you know, I didn't want to talk to you. I don't even remember exactly what the line was, but she's like remembering their first date or their first meeting at that trivia night differently than he remembered it. And I do think that sometimes when we're getting her perspective, it's not necessarily... Jesse Plemons' projection of her, and it is, like, her actually coming through. But I, I think he presents it with an enough ambiguity that it's not, like, necessarily just there in the text, which I think is interesting, but I think, like you're saying, it's hard to, like, grasp exactly what he's going for there. And, and I don't know. It's, it's a hard question to wrap your head around. I have the,
0: the quote, because I wrote it down. I was re-watching scenes before this, and uh, she calls him, the young woman, when talking to the janitor, she's like have you seen my boyfriend and in his mind he says like describe him and then she says like he's a creep just one of the thousands of non-interactions in my life it's like describing a mosquito that bit you 40 years ago which is just the most scathing way I think of describing somebody that you could ever do which is (laughs) it's interesting because it's like it's it's if you're reading it literally, which I think is maybe not a helpful way to read it, it's 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 literally the janitor talking about himself and thinking about himself that way, which is again, incredibly depressing, but.
3: I think I'd um, rather read it literally and think that uh, Jesse Plemons is a mosquito. He's just manifested <laughs> himself. <laughs>
1: also, do you guys think that Jesse Plemons seems to be like filling the Philip Seymour Hoffman shaped hole in Kaufman's heart? He has like, <laughs> that like pasty magnetism that <laughs> I don't just like such a I mean such a like I don't know if charismatic is the right word especially in this movie because he's just like right heavy but he you know he has the that je ne sais quoi is the, is
2: yeah all I the only thing I've seen him in was the like Black Mirror episode like the um, USS Callister or whatever right. which was like very similar to this mm-hmm. and it's like A man who wants to like obsessively control like in this case just a girl but like that one like a group of people or whatever all within like his mind so I definitely yeah he he just he creeps me out no offense to him I googled I I did a quick google of him and he was like yeah he's a mixture of like Matt Damon and Philip Seymour Hoffman and he's like married or like partnered with uh Kirsten Dunst or whatever I was like wow that's surprising but He just creeps me out. No, no
3: offense. Meth Damon. Yeah, that was Meth Damon exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I like kind of get. This is like not meant to be a knock toward Plemons. So I think it's awesome. But I also think. Philip Seymour Hoffman was so good. I mean, he was great at playing a creep, but he was also great at playing, like you're saying, like the sort of endearing, you know, likable character that I'm not sure Plemons has sort of excelled at yet. And like, I I really, really loved his performance in Game Night, which is like one of my favorite recent performances. But I also think like he runs the risk of getting a little typecast as like that creepy character actor.
1: Yeah, I think
3: you're right. I I'm trying to remember his his
0: character in Breaking Bad. It's been like years since I've seen it, right, but right. isn't he just like a delightful idiot in that?
3: That is true. Yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like I remember that. really <laughs>
0: liking his character, even though he's like clearly a bad person. Yeah, doesn't he like kill a kid or something? <laughs> I'm... Oh God. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Can we rewind? <laughs> <idiot>. <laughs> Sorry,
1: Gail. You know? What was that? You support Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Dad's Dad's laughs> <decide. laughs>
0: No, but but but, but <laughs> does give a great performance, uh, and I think everybody does. I mean, Tony yeah, Collette. Yeah. Let's talk about Tony Collette and uh, David Thulis yeah. as the parents. Like,
2: <laughs> you mean Professor Lupin? <laughs>
0: <Yes>.
2: <laughs> that's how I know him.
0: Yeah, the acting in this film, I think, by everyone involved, uh, including the janitor. I think he gives a good performance. I do too. too. Uh, I do too. But particularly. David Thewlis and Tony Collette as the unhinged, like parents of Jake. Um, there's something about David Thewlis's like, like throaty, uh, accented, like tilting his head, like,
1: what did you think about the painting? That,
0: like, <laughs> like has embedded itself in my mean, mind. Spot on. Uh, that was, and <laughs> oh also the God. band-aid on like, his
1: head, like, yes, that keeps it just changing. kind of. This sounds bad, but like it takes all your like kind of internalized like fears and biases about old people and like the like throws the them foot? all
3: you get like yeah. one shot of his like toes <laughs> yeah literally, yeah. Yeah, literally. <laughs> there's like
0: there's a, there's a lot of things that i i have a list of like unanswered like questions that i have about the the film and one of them is is about Thulus and it's about his character's strange obsession with the young woman and how he'll like when he meets her he's like staring at her and then it shows jake like trying to shake his dad's hand but he's like fixated on her and then that happens again when they're sitting in the living room and he like is sitting like right next to her did you guys have any sort of opinion or ideas about why that is like my only thought was that maybe his dad was like maybe he did bring a girl home at one point when he was a kid and his dad was like creepy towards her and it like kind of made an imprint on his mind or something but i don't i don't know did you all have any thoughts
3: i didn't even notice that to be honest that's a really good catch and i i don't know it's fascinating that he's like a character that is portrayed so much as like the embodiment of like death and decay and entropy but like you're saying like clearly he's given some sort of like human grossness that's a little bit more than just like the embodiment of somebody just like dying basically i'm i'm not sure that that's really interesting
2: (laughs) (laughs) um uh yeah or like just like i don't know like fears of parental aging too just like not not like just old people in general but it seemed that he was an only child shout out to my fellow only children <laughs> where the the burden of of like of parental care is like solely based on them but um yeah i noticed that and that was like super weird in the introduction and it's also just like a question of like if you're gonna have like a fantasy of someone that you're like having a relationship or whatever like why would you not have like the perfect woman or like have something where the parents would like be approving. You know, it was like that weird scene where like they didn't understand like her art. And was that just like a projection of them not understanding him and his like artistic pursuits or like what was happening with that? I don't know.
3: I think that's fascinating because kind of off of that, when we get into the basement, like all of those paintings that were being played off to his parents as his own work were like not his work that's a little bit hard to wrap your head around too because he clearly has this like displaced sense of his own worth because he reads so much he reads a lot of like film criticism obviously and his i like his mind is packed with like quotes of philosophy that he can just pull right off the top of his head but at the same time when it comes to like actually expressing it in the same way that this hypothetical woman of jesse buckley actually does he doesn't really have it and he has to like imitate in a way he's just doing tracings of somebody else's work and I, I think that's really interesting,
1: Arjun. the The reason that I what yeah <laughs> I wanted to bring you on to this was because of what you commented on my Under the Silver Lake review, and like I I fully understand what you mean Nat. Like in yeah. the review, I was just talking about the the like David Robert Mitchell's like supposed point that you know all art is just like the culmination of other works of like just like poor imitations and amalgamations of other things and nothing is truly original. And um, you brought up the basement scene.
3: Yeah, I think it is fascinating. I think it takes like a sort of special artist to make yourself question like, why am I even watching this while watching a movie that you actually like? And (laughs) it is it's fascinating to me because in the same way that Under the Silver Lake, is sort of exactly the type of movie that it is mocking like it is so packed with references it is so like wearing its influences on its sleeve this isn't really doing exactly that although like there's a couple you know pretty obvious references but it is sort of in like a very weirdly postmodern way that we haven't really seen from Kaufman like packed with just like straight up rips of like quotes from Pauline Kael criticism like poems that are like passed off as hers that aren't actually hers and it's just so clearly like a combination of all of these ideas that Kaufman has and like you're saying like it really makes you wonder in the middle of the movie like why am I even watching this like are my ideas even my own ideas and it like really like 45 minutes through this movie gave me like a mini existential crisis like do do I even like Charlie Kaufman movies? Yeah and it's also
1: like are you admitting that your movie is trash like what? (laughs) (laughs)
3: I don't know what are your guys thoughts on that
1: well he
0: the thing that gets me is that he is like obsessed with he's obsessed with art and meaning and and like having he's obsessed with the not only the the thing but the canon of the thing like he's obsessed with the idea that there are there is like a pantheon there's a history of films and that there is like places in them. And he's like also clearly obsessed with where he, he will fall in there. But then he's also like, he's like looking at himself and thinking like, oh, what a loser for thinking that, like just make the art. <laughs> and maybe I'm pulling ant kind into this because yeah, I'm yeah. reading his book. He also released like a full fiction novel. And his the main character is just this insufferable film critic who like, hates Charlie Kaufman films and... So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Well, I think you're that. definitely
3: onto something there because I, I haven't read Ankhine, but I read a couple of excerpts from it where he's like, you know, building up all these lists and like, you know, like those Judd Apatow jokes that he makes. And like, you're so <laughs> right. Like he's like clearly obsessed with the idea of like categorizing things in a way that like, I think we all sort of have become in this like Twitter letterbox age of appreciating <laughs> watching movies. <laughs> and it's like sometimes even when I'm watching movies, like I'm realizing like how warped my mind has become where it's like sometimes even hard to just like focus on the movie without thinking about like what are the reactions about this going to become like how is the culture around this going to shape this and it is like it's extremely depressing and like as somebody who like we all do like appreciates good art and likes to you know like get sucked into these things like it's horrible to think like in the middle of this movie like (laughs) what am i doing here <laughs> is, is this a three star is
0: this a three and a half star? exactly a...
1: And i feel like the that's part of what makes the pauline kale scene so great is like you know i would say i would assume that we have all been on both sides of that conversation in the car like after seeing a movie the side of like someone literally like ripping it apart like directly after seeing it in terms of like structure and technical like (laughs) like feats and things like that and you're just like oh like I thought it was cool
2: (laughs) and then on the other end
1: there's like me on the way home from uh the rise of skywalker with my family where I'm like, that was utter shit and they're like oh like we had a nice time like yeah. it's christmas
3: that was me like talking um, to anybody in my life about bohemian rhapsody for like three months afterwards it's <laughs> mm. like how do you not get it <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> my my rise of skywalker review on letterboxd is my most liked review and it's and it's literally just like an essay that i wrote about how terrible rise <laughs> of skywalker was bring um, back
3: negative criticism <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah I, I definitely think you're onto something there brooke I'm uh, oh, not brooke at least excuse me um, i was gonna say uh Alicia, brooke you're, you're... onto
2: nothing <laughs> <What>? I, yeah <laughs> as i knew i would <laughs> oh,
0: no. did you did you guys catch the uh the a beautiful mind ending
2: I had to have it
1: pointed out to me.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I did not catch it, but I, I read about it. it. Seems cool. I don't know. I, I've heard bad things about that movie. don't <laughs> know. No, no. I've never uh, seen it.
0: But the I guess that's uh to get back up to I'm thinking of ending things. Is that is that Jake like okay, so is is it a beautiful mind about like a really smart guy who's misunderstood by society?
3: Well I think like it's he's about... like paranoid, right? Doesn't
2: he have schizophrenia or
1: something yeah Yeah. he has like he has has schizophrenia and an imaginary friend i don't remember if the guy who is the imaginary friend like used to exist but then he died or if he has never existed at all
3: doesn't he also think like the russians are like writing things in the new york times to him and
1: stuff like
3: that yeah yeah oscar winning film that we have not seen (laughs) Yeah, no, I have
1: seen it but like I don't think you need to see. It. <laughs> um, I feel like the past like 30 seconds have sufficed. But yeah, I get like what is that? Is it I mean it, it obviously is piling onto the whole um, you know, just like referential mania that is this movie, but also like is he I guess it's just the fantasy of being a genius. He's not necessarily comparing himself to nash but um just yeah imagining a a connection there and also like i don't i don't know
3: (laughs) well it's interesting you bring up that like he's not comparing himself to nash like i I agree with that like i don't think he's calling himself a genius but he also like is explicitly comparing himself to other filmmakers like we get that whole robert zemeckis thing which is like absolutely (laughs) hilarious and like Like we were kind of talking about earlier, like he's so obsessed with or maybe not obsessed with, but he clearly cares about like other directors and his contemporaries and how everybody is viewed in history and like sort of reappropriating these ideas of greatness and what like sappy, dumb movies are in his mind. And I think it's just such such a interesting like look into what his brain is and how his brain works and how he thinks about things. And like it really reflects, I think, how like referential this movie is.
0: Brooke, did you find this movie funny at all?
2: Did I find it funny? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> no. I thought it was hilarious. I really? also thought it was
0: hilarious, but I was, I was curious to hear, Brooke's, like... Yeah. No,
2: I was mostly just uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> so... I mean, yeah. <laughs> no room for laughter. I didn't laugh out of she nerves, but yeah no I so that way did that funnier. robert
0: zemeckis title card not get you
2: oh the, like okay there was one moment when i laughed and it was literally when it was like his his bedroom was labeled jake's childhood bedroom and that made me laugh <laughs> and then they like explained it away as like his dad has alzheimer's and i was like oh I'm a terrible person. <laughs> never, <laughs> never mind. This was a practical use, but yeah, that. I'm sure made Coffin
1: me laugh. Uh, is also a terrible person and was laughing as well.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but... I like when she flips over the ice cream and it doesn't spill.
2: <laughs> yeah. What was happening? I was <laughs> so confused. Like I could not glean any sort of like information from like who that girl was or what was happening there other than, like, I really wanted an Oreo McFlurry <laughs> after seeing it. <laughs> I, I felt, like, it good. I felt like, the, like
1: the hometown, local kind of, like, joint, you know, is such a relatable thing to people in that, like, kind of, whether it be, like, you were, you know, unpopular or ostracized when you were younger and so, like, going to places like that was really weird because people would be mean to you if you, you know, like... Like, if you know a girl who from school who works there. Or if it's just, like, for me, like, going back to a place like that in my hometown after, like, graduating is always just kind of weird. And, like, sometimes is like, fills me with dread. <laughs> but sometimes it's more of a just, like, this is funny and weird type of thing. But I feel like that is just kind of the epitome of the, like, this guy was bullied in high school and that is why he is what he is and this is like the core of like his memories that formed him into the person he is today and then the girl who was nice to him i guess is based off of someone he knew or is just another like part of his subconscious since they she has a rash on his arm i think mm-hmm. later jake has a rash I didn't on his arm that. and it it honestly kind of reminded me i i'm the worst person in the world to bring up inception right now but <laughs> <laughs> but um in terms of just like the very physical uh like ways this world worked this like psyche world of his um the way that little things pop up little like cracks in the facade yeah. um i feel like that girl was you know just another part of his subconscious that is <laughs> like fighting him to not even not to come back to reality actually um but To maybe stay in the fantasy is what it seemed like she was implying
3: that's interesting because i i think that makes a lot more sense but i just like my first thought when i saw well my first first thought was i bet they're doing time travel in the back which was not the case (laughs) apparently (laughs) but my second thought after that was that like these must be kids of his who were like at the school that he was the janitor at but I also think that doesn't totally make a lot of sense either. And I I love that scene because the entire time I was just like, what is happening here? Like, oh, my God, this is crazy. But I still just have no idea. I, I like I like that a lot, like the idea of that being part of his subconscious, though, because you do even if you are going to like think maybe these are people from the school, like you're exactly getting those kind of cracks in the subconscious, like you're saying, like he's playing so much with like temporality and like different times and his mother aging super fast and like things not happening in the timelines that you would expect them to and that's like exactly like you're saying like that's that's inception right there like uh <laughs> my guy's getting I think you're incepted. right though i
1: i think it might be both like the girl that he watches in the play at the school that, that the janitor watches in the play that girl i think in a way is also the girl who was in the play when he was a student you right. know or the girl who like bullied him in the hallways or like gave him weird li- the the girl that he had a crush on when he was their age, like I feel like there's a cyclical cyclical thing there, so yeah.
0: i oh sorry <laughs> um go ahead. okay there,
2: there's a there's like a thing that we learned in my psych class is that like your brain like you cannot imagine like if you're dreaming or whatever anything that you've ever seen in a dream or like if you're just having a daydream or whatever. You can't, like, just make it up. It's always has to be, like, made up of parts of people that you know or, like, have already seen or whatever. So it, it definitely is probably, like, a combination. And also I was just reflecting on the fact that, like, if you did have such an awful, like, high school experience where you were, like, mercilessly teased or bullied or whatever, and then how horrible it would be to <laughs> experience that again for the rest of your life as, like, being the janitor and like being i don't know by i guess some fault of his own like the creepy janitor that like stares at girls as they're like just trying to live their lives and everything but yeah i don't know that idea just popped into my yeah. head
0: so the i was also curious about this as it it seems that we were all in agreement of how much this scene like kind of uh piqued our curiosity and so just now when I was going back and looking at scenes, the girl, the actress, who is in the one of the blonde actresses in the ice cream place, um, is Tulsi Tulsi what is it called? Tulsi, uh, Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Town. Tulsi Town. So she is the <laughs> same actress that is playing the girl who makes fun of him in the hallway, who like makes fun of the janitor as he's passing. And the same girl who is playing, and notice, I'm not saying same character, because who knows if they're the same <laughs> character. But same girl who plays the main actress in Oklahoma who's singing, where he's, like, mopping and is, like, looking at her. And the uh, the brunette girl with the brash is the same girl that he's walking down the hallway. Like, the janitor's having walking down the hallway, and Jake is having an internal monologue about seeing uh, those kids who performed in Oklahoma in his hometown uh, years later and he thought it was sad. Like, oh, they're just another like, person shopping at the supermarket when they were stars on that stage or whatever the exact quote is. The camera like pans to her and you, you get like her looking back at the camera and it's the same actress who's the brunette with the rash. And then and then it goes to the Tulsi town and then they have that connection where they both have the rash, so do with that what you will. <laughs> I I tend to agree with uh, that it's probably some sort of manifestation of his past of his, you know the the blonde girls can can be like as as uh, the Burnett girl says the blonde girl is like you're not like them. Uh, she tells the young woman like they're the pretty ones they're the ones who are mean they're the like they're sort of the embodiment of the like popular and talented girl in high school who he never had a chance with and this other girl, this brunette girl, this um, girl who has rashes is like the girl who's more on his level and that he feels <laughs> a connection with and maybe is like maybe an ex of his who worked at Tulsi Town and that's why he has a weird fixation with it or something.
3: This is making me want to go pick through this movie again. Damn it.
0: (laughs) There are so many things, man. So many, like,
3: tiny
0: things. I think that it's
3: it's so interesting that it's, like, a Netflix movie in that specific case because we are kind of getting the opportunity because it's just there to watch as many times as we want now. And, like, there haven't been that many good new movies that just get released onto Netflix like this. Where it's, like, it's hard for me to think, like, what if, like, The Shining had gotten released on Netflix and, like, (laughs) everybody could have just gotten all their theories about it out in the next like month after it and then after that it was just kind of like gone it's like worrying but also <laughs> just fascinating that all of us can just go dig into this thing and like you know excavate it for any sort of opinion or idea that we could possibly get out of it in the immediate days after it it's kind of it's kind of amazing and I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to have this conversation because it really is just like endless stuff that we could dig out of this movie what will be the shelf
0: life of this film
3: that's a good question.
1: Wow. I I also think it's really interesting how Oklahoma is the musical of choice. Like, I'm, I just think of Oklahoma as such a... Like, when I was younger and used to watch it, like, I didn't really think much of it other than, you know, another, like, classic American musical. <laughs> but as I got older, I was like, wow, this musical is really, like horny and weird and like disturbing and subliminal and just like it's so it's so weird and I I think that it kind of it fits in with the movie in that way and like obviously also the dream dance sequence like I I thought that was incredibly done like it's such a kind of jarring juxtaposition to the rest of the movie but also gives you kind of a, a chance to breathe um and tells a story in a really interesting way without all the, like, <laughs> the, like, you know, kind of exhausting dialogue that takes up a lot of the rest of the movie. But, yeah, what did you guys think of Oklahoma?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I've
0: not seen it either. Um, I was actually going to watch it with my mom, like, we, the day before I watched I'm Thinking of things. we were going to watch a movie, and then she got tired. But it was either going to be Oklahoma or another, one other musical I don't remember something with the king in the title. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but is it? I don't know.
3: I don't know. If well, the- that that's really fascinating to me then because I do think that it's hard not to think about what the connections between the two works are because he's, clearly more obsessed with that than like almost anything in this movie like story-wise alicia what did you think are like the sort of comparisons you could draw because that's something i was thinking a lot of and i kind of had the same thought as kayla we were been talking about this a little bit like we wanted to like dig in and watch oklahoma and think about like how you could make parallels between the two of them because i think that dance sequence it takes up so much time in this movie and it's clearly something we're supposed to think about a lot and for me it's just something like completely confounding to me i did not know what to make of that at all, and I, I'm curious to think about what your thoughts are, knowing the story of Oklahoma and how that like reflects Jesse Plymouth's story, I guess, or the janitor's story.
1: I guess, I think you know, considering the the final number that he see, sings, which is um, from the character of Judd in um, Oklahoma, who is the villain who like is obsessed with the main female protagonist who ends up with uh his name curly am i just making that up because it like would be curly um the like the white hat of the of the musical basically um like their kind of love story is um being fought by judd who is like this kind of menacing presence in in their town and at one point the like the hero of the story tries to convince judd to kill himself by kind of singing the song with him that prompts him to imagine what it's like like to to die and have people like memorialize you and he's like basically the song is saying like um uh i think it's it's called poor judd is dead or or that's just like the refrain but it's like oh imagine all these people grieving over you and um you know like your life is miserable basically but if you just kill yourself like things could be pretty great and he like oh. <laughs> it, yeah and then but the song that that's not the song that he sings at the end of the um at the end of I'm thinking of ending things but i guess in that sense like that's probably the biggest parallel i see in a really depressing way like um but at the same time i don't think that jake that the janitor kills himself to be idolized or remembered as you know more than he was it seems like more kind of an of escape opposite. than anything yeah. um but I don't know and in terms of the dance I guess I just interpreted it as him uh as you know the with the janitor kind of interrupting the dance between the two main dancers being like um this is his kind of miserable life interrupting what he thought it would be, and also his um his kind of subconscious taking over, um and taking him out of reality. But then in the end, the janitor kills the um the like male dancer, right? So I I don't. What do you guys think?
2: Well, it, it's so weird because like there's even he even has like a like a a different like subconscious portrayal of himself as a janitor right in like a he's like a more attractive janitor i guess he's like more fit and stuff and that's just like such a weird i don't know that's just like such a weird another like added level to that but I i read something like like from the choreographer of that dance or whatever and apparently like um it was supposed to originally be on like a theater stage or something and they decided to do it in the high school hallways as like another manifestation of like how trapped jake was inside of this like high school reality or like high school situation because um, i like like several times when they're like practicing before and then in the ballet sequence like the lockers are like getting in the way of the like you know they're nice, like nice little like high kicks or whatever so i thought that was like a good like physical like manifestation of like how like, enclosed his mind was and, like, trapped within this high school space. But, like, on a similar note, it's also, like, just so sad to think that, like, being in a high school play was, like, his, like, pinnacle of, like, coolness (laughs) and fame to him (laughs) was, like, being in a high school play when, like, for me, I think of those people as, like, the theater kids (laughs) who, you know, tight group amongst themselves but wouldn't really call them the most popular amongst the student body but
0: Uh, yeah guys can I tell you that I loved the dance scene (laughs) and I teared up at it (laughs) wow I, I so I while watching it I was like this is this is great this is like good Kaufman I'm very satisfied with this but it's leaving me cold like that's what I was thinking right before I got to the dance scene I was thinking that like you know, like I see what he's doing here. I think the janitor's Jake and he lived probably a sad life and like he had maybe a bad relationship or something, you know, like okay, but like I don't see that relationship and it's not making me feel anything. None of this movie's really making me feel anything because I don't feel sympathetic towards the, this janitor figure. Like I don't, it just wasn't clicking for me. And then, like they started dancing, and I was like, "This is so beautiful." And it's like, because I was like, I was like, "This is what, this is what he wants." Like he's imagining this, this like, if this dance is representative of their relationship, that he wants. He's wanting something that is like, just gorgeous and flows easily, and like, is a work of art. And that's, I think, he conflates like art and and his failure to connect with people. And I think that that's. Like I I just found it devastating when it ends and that his like janitor kills the other version of himself and it's like he's put in his place and he's like no like this fantasy of dancing this this whole this whole fantasy of art that you have is false and look at the yeah. life you really lived and I found it like that's where that that is where the film's emotional core is for me at least. Um, is seeing like this thing that he desperately wants and just does not have and it it hit me hard I'm not gonna lie I really really like and you that.
1: describing it as like smooth and like kind of in sync and flawless like that like perfectly contrast with the way that Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons talk to each other when oh, we yeah. first meet them like on that car yeah. ride which is just like constant there's like a constant discord in their conversation you know like whether she's thinking to herself and he kind of like half reads her thoughts or should i call them his (laughs) thoughts i guess and like interrupts them or they just like are every it's so uncomfortable it's just like everything is constantly like not quite lined up correctly and so i like the way that you put that with the dance scene
3: yeah and I kind of feel like the whole movie he portrays like song and dance and musical theater as this sort of like pure form of artistic expression exactly like you're saying Caleb and it almost seems like you know the main character was like an obsessed theater kid who was just never brave enough to actually put himself out there and like try out for the musical when he was a kid. Because you know, like we see with those paintings, like he's never able to sort of reach that sort of ex- way of expressing himself artistically throughout his entire life. And that's clearly a big regret of his. And just like to see that sort of unfold. Like I, I don't even think I thought about that. I I'm definitely gonna have to like check that out. Cause I definitely was left a little bit emotionally cold in the way that you're describing and I'm putting that together I think is really interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, that's really good. That's really good.
1: <laughs> okay. So, after thinking for a second about the last song that he sings and I'm thinking of anything that so isn't the last song uh, I don't I don't know where it takes place in like the Oklahoma timeline, but like it's it's about him you know like he's he's like oh i'm gonna go out there and like get myself the girl and like show them what i'm made of and whatever and i guess it's him just succumbing to the fantasy that he's created um as he sits dying um that's what it seems to me um and i guess brooke interprets that as him you know finding peace Um, I like that. And I don't really know know. how I... I I I like it, Brooke. I I I I needed to hear it,
0: even if I didn't believe
1: it. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But yeah, yeah, that just dawned on me. That's
1: about as far as I can go with that.
3: (laughs) Do you guys ever think about how Charlie Kaufman has a wife?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And a
0: kid? He has a
3: kid. Like, how must, How? what do you think they think about this? This is crazy. Like, he's clearly still hung up on some girl from, like, 40, 50 years ago that broke his little heart. <laughs> She's like,
2: who's Lucy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, Jesse Buckley in this as Lucy um, reminded me a little bit of Ellen Page. I feel like they have that same kind of, like, wry smile and,
2: like, they have a similar type of quirkiness to me. Mm, I like that i loved her like subtle costume changes yes as i loved loved that and like just him trying out like you know she was the same at her core but like let's throw some pearls in there and see if i if i like a classy lady a little bit better
0: <laughs> yeah and her her color like the one one thing i want to talk about is like some formal elements uh like cinematography because the the shot of her standing outside, it's like the opening shot of the trailer, I think, like, outside of the storefront, like, waiting for, uh, Jess, Jake, James? Have I been saying James? I might have been. Uh, Jake, Jake. Uh, when Jake pulls up, and it's, like, this, like, the camera pushes in, and it's this, like, really lush color palette, and she's, like, really colorful, and she's smiling. It's, like, I think it's a gorgeous shot, um, and it's also like, such a contrast to when, like, where she gets to an hour later in the movie, where she's in drab clothing, and the set dressing behind her is just, like, the creepiest, like, purple or green wallpaper, and she's, like, alone, like, there's a, sp- the poster shot is what I'm thinking of, um, Yeah, and it's, like, such a interesting uh, contrast there, and I mean, I think it's because in my interpretation is that his, even in his idealized mind, his, his great idealized woman, which he even calls her the ideal woman, mm. um, in the car, uh, even that just like is slowly rotting and is getting maggots in its stomach. And oh. is like, you know, like it's, um, I, that's, I wanted to ask how y'all felt about like, uh, the cinematography Done by, I wish I had his name in front of me. It's Lucas Zal, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the the guy guy who did
3: Cold War, but I I didn't see Cold War, but I saw Loving Vincent, which is an animated film that he was the cinematographer for a couple years ago, and it's like the same kind of thing. The way he works with colors, like you're saying, is, is really beautiful. And I think what works best in I'm Thinking of Ending Things is he knows when to sort of take that away and like make it drab a little bit and i think that makes it even a little bit more powerful when he just kind of like overloads you with color like in that sort of last high school whole set piece that we get which i think is just really like vivid and gorgeous and i also like, like what you're talking about with cinematography i think is interesting because it's such a departure from the ones that kaufman doesn't direct i think and just the way that he uses angles too and like he's so deliberate about what he's showing you in every frame and I think that works really well to create this like dreamlike, oneric atmosphere that we get, especially in that house where it's like turning away from people for one second might just mean that you're completely leaving the scene that you thought you were in. It's just so disorienting. And like Kaufman's directing and the source material, which I think is kind of similar, although I've never read it, just works so perfectly with the cinematography that they've got going on. I really, really loved that.
1: Yeah, the cinematography in the house is... I think what comes to mind the most that one shot of her at the dinner table, um, where like seemingly the rest of the family disappears, and Mm. also the thing they do with the dog,
2: um, Mm.
1: where you know he he only like magically appears every time like she thinks of him, and also when he does appear, yeah, he's like stuck in a one distinct memory, like one distinct image of like him shaking it's like so that is like weird little things like that are the most disturbing to me like that has stuck in my brain um yeah I thought it was amazing the cinematography
0: and it's that it's that academy ratio it's that like (laughs) confined boxy like in the car it's so claustrophobic yeah Yeah. so and to, to to great ends where it's like it's like oh god, we've we've all been there. we've been in that conversation in a car that you can't escape from and you're just like grabbing at topics so to talk true, about yeah. and like <laughs> trying to figure out and and it's it's just it's the manifestation of Jake trying to even have a conversation with himself and yeah. like you want that group. scene to
3: end so badly the yes. entire time like, like that first 15 minutes <laughs>
0: it's like 45 minutes i feel it's like it feels yeah, long yeah, exactly. it's like
3: it's like a third of the movie takes place in that car
0: and that i mean that's bold if nothing else really
3: yeah
1: yeah i'm not gonna lie when the film started and like i saw that aspect ratio i was like oh, fuck like this i <laughs> You don't like, like a good academy ratio. I I it depends, but I was like, you know, it's this kind of movie. <laughs> um, but it also it makes me think of how in the um, the adaptation of the Homecoming podcast that Amazon did, how they mm. use aspect ratio to um, differentiate between memory and uh, present day. I feel like that's also. I mean, yeah, it definitely serves that claustrophobic purpose, but also. Uh, temp- temporarily, I think it serves another purpose
3: Well apparently Netflix has like really strict guidelines For what they typically want people to shoot on Because they want it to like transfer well To iPhones and iPads And whatever else you're watching on So I kind of thought it was at the very least Like a nice departure from like the typical Like TV serial setup That we get from Netflix Which I like Like it, it clearly right off the bat Like disorients you from most Netflix movies Unless you want to count like you know Roma And like the people that really just want to take something and make it their own which I thought was like really like you know from the beginning you're not just getting just from the look of it like a typical run-of-the-mill Netflix movie which you know for us I guess we kind of knew but
0: (laughs) it's it's that and it's the editing which I wanted to ask y'all about and talk about because it's such a schizophrenic editing style where like Like, a shot will end before you think it will, but only by, like, a second. Like, it's not, it doesn't, like, in a conversation, they'll have, like, audio edits where you somebody answers a question just, like, a second before you think someone would answer. Mm -hmm. And that really caught my eye because most, or, and ear, because most Netflix movies are, like, cut, 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 cut. like, let's, we know that people's, like, attention spans um, are nothing now. And so we need to, like, keep you don't look at your phone look at the movie screen you know like uh but i i found it was it was strange because at points in this film i was like that's that's almost like a mis-edit like that's almost like like somebody would have caught that and post on like a normal blockbuster hollywood film and been like no that's that feels weird like that feels wrong you need to fix that uh i don't know if y'all had any thoughts about the editing style no thoughts about that <laughs> i mean
1: yeah definitely the way the the way that people spoke to each other was really affecting and um was an early hint that something was off that this wasn't you know reality um especially in the way yeah in the car and also i remember there was like a very um like strong instance in the barn when he's talking about the pigs of yeah one of them asking a question and the other answering before they've even like finished asking yeah, um,
0: baby goats or no baby
1: sheep, baby land. sheep? yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah and he's like i don't know why <laughs> that i don't just yeah everything was so uncomfortable and so funny i would also like to stress how funny i found this
0: movie yeah um, the the comedy of it is what gets me because there were so many points where I was laughing and my brother wasn't, and he was like, <laughs> Why are you laughing? And I think, it, I don't know, maybe it's because I was primed from seeing like Kaufman's explicit comedies. Like being John Malkovich is just yeah. like a straight up comedy. In it's most like one of the funniest
3: of movies ever. Oh my so God. Funny.
0: <laughs> and like, um, I recently w- uh, watched Human Nature, which super underrated Kaufman, in my opinion, directed by Michelle Gondry. And he it's like it's always like in any letterbox imdb any online list it's always at the bottom but i found it so hilarious it's like a coen brothers level (laughs) farce it's just like a straight up it's a comedy it's just like straight comedy so i think knowing that and like seeing adaptation and other of his like really more explicitly like comedy is in your face um i think i was maybe primed to to see that in this film whereas my brother was like why do you think that's funny
1: <laughs> well yeah I think that's just how Kaufman works like in showing something uh, that is like so pitiful that's always you know just a a reflection of himself and how he sees himself as this like pitiful being um, he always has this like, like really brutal sense of humor um, that's like You know look look how how depressing this is and like how much of a self-scrutinizing drip i am the only way to deal with it is to laugh um although that that won't make you happy it'll just kind of i guess numb you for the time being i don't know (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it's like that when uh the animated pig comes on we haven't even talked about pigs yet which is when i was doing my rewatch did you guys notice the first... I didn't notice on the first time the billboard that they passed and there's a pig on the billboard and it says, come join me as they, like, pass. I didn't notice that at all. I
3: did not notice that.
0: Brooke, you're, you're nodding your head. It looks like you noticed yeah, that. Yeah,
2: I noticed it. Oh, like, I noticed that and, like, the thing... I want to talk, like, about the snow at some point. Um, I also have to go soon-ish. Um, but, yeah, I was just thinking about how one thing that really struck me like they saw the billboard and how like immediately they like get to places you know what I mean like we we spend so much time on like a like on the road in the car and we like see that their conversation from the outside with like the windshield wipers going and everything and then we like pass that billboard and we're like immediately like at the family farm or whatever and I didn't take time to like think about what the what the pigs meant but i remember seeing that because i don't know if any of you guys like actually live in the country no right you're like near near cities <laughs> but um yeah for me that was like something that there are no billboards on the countryside <laughs> where i am so i was like caught off guard by that one but yeah i don't know uh that's yeah,
0: it <laughs> that whole uh I, I tried to list every time I saw a pig in, in the in the thing, because you have you have the billboard, and you have the the main dead pig at the, or the talking about the dead pig at the farm, you have a pig statuette in the living room, um, where like uh, the young woman just sort of glances and sees like a young pig and like gives a little questioning look and then looks away. You have the ham that they set out and they're like fresh from the farm. <laughs> Uh, that they don't eat. None of them ever eat anything. Um, and then, I think there might be a few more, but I skipped to the end, is, uh, obviously the end animated pig that sort of guides Jake to death, to (laughs) heaven, to, (laughs) um, yeah. Uh, and I, I think we're supposed to connect the two and Jake is looking at himself as just like a useless pig, which is just... I don't even like talking about it. It's so depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't know. If they if they had showed me a pig filled with maggots that was dead in the farm and then served me ham, I probably also would not have eaten it. So I kind of <laughs> see where they're coming from there.
1: Yeah, also the the, you know what what was going on with him giving that long spiel about oh my mom's health isn't great like we should really stop for a snack asking to stop for a snack like six times and being like oh just so you know when we get there like she might not have made any food and then we have like this extravagant feast like on the table yeah yeah um, that
0: none of them eat, and then that, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that she ends up like she's the one. This the guest is the one who takes up the plates of everyone else, full of food, and like <laughs> they're all casual about it. Kind Don't of an underrated
3: food movie though, because I feel like that cake looked pretty delicious. Not like phantom I thread. wanted a log <laughs> <line laughs>
1: so fucking bad. Oh <laughs> my god, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Brooke, did you want to talk about snow real quick before we, we wrap it <laughs> yeah. up? Yeah.
2: I don't know. It just it reminded me of like, what's like in such a different way, but similar thing where this snow is just so fucking pervasive, and it's like the main thing that the young woman brings up like all the time, just wanting to get back, to, back to the city or whatever. And because of the snow, it reminded me. was it like McCabe and Mrs. Miller? Is that the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was the director of that? He's. altman Altman, yeah robert altman yeah okay okay but like where the snow in that movie was the main reason that i got like nice vibes from it i (laughs) like that entire movie was like dealing with very like you know western like violent stuff and people were being murdered and prostitutes and everything but i was just like straight chill and the entire time i was like ooh, i feel so cozy Um, super cozy
0: movie yeah (laughs)
2: super cozy and then with this like I the snow if we're talking about like interiority or whatever and he like the, the weird scene where she talks about her paintings it's like my view like of the weather is reflecting that like it very much was this like this this snow was in no way cozy was in no way comforting even though and it's like brought up again in like different ways through like they mentioned that the house is like has a like big draft and like even though they like make this fire like no one is comforted in any way and then obviously like by the end he dies and I thought it was I thought it was like a very beautiful again I'm gonna say optimistic Mm -hmm. beautiful whatever return to nature um also sad about like his invisibility or whatever where like his entire car is like completely blanketed in snow at the end and it's just like has become a part of this, like, high school landscape Hmm. that, like, you can't see and stuff, so I don't know, those were just my thoughts on Snow, if anyone else had any.
0: (laughs) Um, I did have a thought, um, about the the shot, because it's on my list of, like, what, what is this? Uh, the shot where she, like, glances out the window, and it's springtime, and everything's, like, it's all grass and very green, and then but her car is being snowed on, like their car. I mean, I the the only thing I grasped from that was something like the oppressiveness of his death that's coming from the snow uh, can't escape, like it can't be got. It can't. He is like I don't know. I'm kind of fumbling here, but it's I don't know if anybody has any interpretation of that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> one of those, it's one of those Kaufman things where you're just like, yeah. you know, if it's I was really writing a film shot. paper on that, I could take that image and be like this is a metaphor for this.
1: Maybe it's just like like even as time and other things change, he is like forever static in, you know, either this one memory or this like kind of snowball of a bunch of different memories. And not only static but also forgotten and um like without any sort of legacy um
2: like yeah like his history is literally being like whited out (laughs) by by everything that's happening and it's it's weird when i mentioned like the actual effects of hypothermia where it's called like people feel like they're on fire and they literally strip down and then that's like what happens and that's the part that like also leads to death is a very you know like back to obviously like the stripping of like the janitor uniform is also somewhat significant um and like that janitor uniform like appears in the basement laundry or whatever and it's like drenched in in water and we like see it again so right i don't know
3: right yeah i i kind of also think like in you know i i do think it is super fun and like to pick at all the threads of this and like that is kind of what has lodged its way in my brain but like to go full circle to our pauline kale conversation like you do sense a little bit of kaufman just being behind the scenes like no like you know it's just meant to like you're just supposed to enjoy it like everybody who is just like picking this apart is so dumb and you know everybody else who is just like you know sitting back and enjoying the ride like no you guys are the right ones here. But at the same time, it just feels like antithetical to everything Coffin's done. It's such like a paradoxical and almost like hypocritical piece of work that makes it like that much more interesting, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, when he drops that Guy Debord uh, oh, reference, I was like, you're trolling every <laughs> film major out
3: there. Yes. <laughs> the <fashion laughs> spectacle. Forgot
0: about that. No, Forgot no, about all that. right. I think that's a good place to, to end on it here. Um, any final thoughts anything yeah would you recommend yeah.
3: it would you not definitely a recommend for me and i also like that jesse buckley has now been in one of my favorite films of the year with this and then i think just objectively one of like the worst films of the year that should probably not exist with do little so uh, really like God. getting both ends of the spectrum with uh jesse buckley the young talented <laughs> wonderkind here did you see Doolittle? I did see Doolittle, <laughs> yeah. It's it's worth it only for the magnificent ending of Robert Downey Jr. sticking his fist up a dragon's butt. Which actually happens in the movie Doolittle.
2: That does sound a like dragon? It might it worth
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> and Rami Malek. That's I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> nice. Um
1: uh, Go ahead, Caleb.
0: I was no, you go ahead. You got it.
1: Uh yes, I would recommend it uh tentatively depending on the <laughs> emotional state of who I'm recommending it to. Um and I yeah, I liked it. I think that there are a lot of questions um that you know, you can grapple with afterwards, which is my favorite thing is like ambiguity and um in terms of, you know, like Placing it in Kaufman's career, um, and, like, you know, there are little bits and pieces of, obviously, adaptation with, like, um, the, the treacherous, like, process of, um, creating new art or basing new art off of old art and, like, um, you know not even like creating anything new but rather just like constantly referencing the fact that you're not creating anything new and um and like also i think there there are comparisons with her as well like i i think that it's impossible to call this feminist or not feminist um there's like a lot to talk about there but the yeah the concept of um creating a woman who somehow manages to, like, gain agency and sort of ditch you in the end um, is really interesting. And I, th- I think that he's exploring that uh, while also, you know, reinforcing things that people have had problems with in the past. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a problem with it. I, th- I think all of it is, um, creates worthy discourse. So, yeah, I enjoy watching and talking about it.
0: All right, well, uh, I'll probably include all of our ats for Letterboxd <laughs> and Twitter in the show notes. Uh, oh, no. Um, th- thanks for listening. Uh, and in the meantime, we will be much like Jesse uh, Plemons' character, and I'm thinking of any things, we will be watching too many movies and filling our brain with too many lies.
3: <laughs> I thought you were going to say much like him we are going to be covered in snow <laughs> sitting in our car <laughs> dying of hypothermia that's much nicer no, yeah uh, <laughs> the door that's the backup plan mentally play. I'm wrong. <laughs> mentally <laughs> <Field mouth laughs> a and
0: pool
1: and I'll sit by myself like a cobweb on a shelf by myself i mm-hmm.